who you thought you were. I was 57 when I learned it. And it was like, the way I described it was untethered from reality. I mean, I just question every moment of my life up until that point. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. And welcome to episode 139. I just purchased my ticket for the Untangling Our Roots Summit, which will be held in Louisville on March 30th, 2023. It is a conference that will go on for about two to three days, and I will be there presenting with other podcasters in the NPE and adoptee community. Um, And also, this is a summit for donor-conceived individuals as well. And I will also be part of a few different meet and greets if you want to come and meet some of your podcasters and actually see people in person. I'm hoping many of my previous guests will be at the summit so I can see their face. And I know some of the guests that have been on this podcast will be presenting there as well including Corey Goodrich and Richard Wentz and I can't remember who else. Eve Sturgis will be there from Everything's Relative. Alexis from DNA Surprises. There will be probably 30, 40, 50 of us speakers, authors, podcasters that will be there. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I already have my ticket Feel free to go to the Untangling Our Roots website and get your pass as well. Right now they have an early bird discount if you're interested. And today I am speaking with an NPE. He will be sharing his story. And I am speaking to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Lily. So good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. You have been very patient. I think you first started writing me back in 2021. So I'm sorry for the long wait. And I'm so glad to hear from you today. Same here. Uh, I think it is worth the wait. And uh, I just want to say thank you for creating this podcast. And uh, it's a wonderful tool for all of us NPEs and NPE-related folks to uh, help through their journey uh, as we all try to uh, sort through this uh, kind of information and and how to continue on with your life after you learn these things. Right. That's what we're trying to do is just continue on with our life and our healing. And so we are going to hear your story today. So I would like you to start with your family of origin. Give us a little background about yourself, and we will take it from there. Thanks. So uh, I've I've written uh, this down, but then I uh, put that away. I just have a few notes. Uh, my family of origin, 
begins with uh, who I thought was my mom and my dad got married in uh, 1959. Uh, they were both from uh, the outskirts of Boston. They were both uh, Irish Catholic uh, people that uh, unusually they were only, both only children. Uh, I wasn't born until 1963 and uh, they had both moved to Maine uh, in New England and uh, taken jobs. Uh, my dad at uh, Bowdoin College and my mom was uh, a nurse at a place called the Pineland Training Center, which uh, will figure more heavily in my story uh, later on. Uh, I was joined uh, by my sister in 1966. Um we lived there until about, I believe, 1968, 67, 68 timeframe where we moved for a short time down to Kentucky. Uh, I was quite young, four. My sister was less than a year old. Uh, we didn't live there very long before we returned um, to Bangor, Maine, uh, where my lived there from like 1968-ish until 1972. Uh, when my parents got divorced. Uh, but uh, so I did like first, second, third grade there. Um, my mom was in the state legislature for a short time while also working as a nurse. Um, and my dad had been uh, into teaching, but then uh, got more involved in um, working with the, the Native Americans uh, there in Maine at that time. Uh, we're going through some significant changes uh, where they uh, had a little more self-determination and that sort of thing. And he helped run their um, social services programs on uh, their reservations there. But uh, as I said, my parents, uh, well, if I just give a little more color to when we lived in, in Powell, I remember uh, a lot of uh, parties that uh, – my dad sort of organized because uh, he was a, on the faculty at Bowdoin College. So I remember a lot of college students and pretty happy times. Um, There's a lot of singing and music and turned out uh, a fair amount of drinking, which I didn't realize at the time was probably more than was healthy, but uh, it, it all seemed like fun. Um, my parents also raised uh, uh, whippets and showed them. So I remember traveling around with my mom to different dog shows and that sort of thing. Then in Bangor, um, there was less of the music and fun times, a little more fighting and arguing. And like I said, they got divorced in 72. Uh, my mom, while she was in the state legislature, tried to change the uh, or present a, a law to um, address a uh, uh, a woman's right to choose. And uh, that was quite controversial. It was like before the um, Roe versus Wade had taken place. So uh, I do remember um, some friction with the administration. I, I used to do an after school program at the YMCA. Uh, they didn't seem, once they realized who my mom was, they, there were some issues there. Uh, and then apparently, I wasn't told about it till later, there were some death threats and that sort of thing. So we, I do, though, remember being brought to and from school with uh, police cars following us and things like that. 
my parents got divorced in 72 somewhat amicably, but, uh, but later, uh, I, I kind of wondered about why, um, uh, my sister and I went to live with my dad, um, after the divorce. Uh, well, we stayed in the house in Bangor, Maine for a while, and then we moved to Summersworth, New Hampshire. And my mom, uh, moved permanently to Augusta, Maine. Uh, we'd visit her periodically. Um, while in New Hampshire, my dad met my future stepmom. Uh, and then she had family roots in Vermont. We wound up moving to Vermont and I lived uh, in Vermont from 74 to 80. And uh, my mom stayed in Augusta and like I said, Maine and uh, we'd go there once or twice a month and sometimes for um, a few weeks at a time, sometimes just the weekend. Uh, but uh, my mom remarried as well. Sorry to interrupt. I don't normally interrupt, but I just wanted to clarify you were, you didn't live full time with your mom as a child. So what, uh, I'm sorry that that was unclear. So when my, from the time I was born 63 to 72, I lived uh, with both parents, but then they got divorced in 72 and um, my went to full custody or primary custody to my dad afterwards. So from about nine on. Hmm. Yes. Which. That is a little more rare for back yes, then. It is. And, and, but we didn't recognize that as kids, you know, you, you tend to, um, your parents say this is the way it is and you just kind of accept it. Um, mm, it's true. Oh, sorry for the interruption. Feel free to go. No, on. no. I, uh, I may say things that I, uh, I I don't realize that they're unclear, so I don't mind that at all. Um, so, my dad remarried, and my mom remarried. Uh, my mom remained, uh, did not have any more children, but then my dad uh, did have uh, two two more children, who I thought were my half siblings. Uh, that were born in 74 and 76. Um, but then he uh, developed leukemia in 1980 and passed away. Well, it developed probably in 79, but uh, he wound up succumbing to it in 1980. And I, I have to say, you know, he he did drink a lot. He smoked cigarettes. He sometimes was angry. But in general, he loved me unconditionally. Um, and And he was really one of my, I considered him my best friend. Uh, we did a lot of things together, uh, a lot of fishing, some hunting. Um, we used to build models together, um, and he acted absolutely. I had no question in my mind uh, that he was my dad. Uh, and then after he passed, uh, I didn't get along so well with my stepmom, uh, although I tried to stay with her for a few weeks after my father had passed, uh, wound up um, rather unceremoniously just getting in my car and driving to my mom's house in Maine and then lived there uh, until I graduated from high school and went off to college. Um, my sister joined me there in, um, in Maine and the two siblings that I thought were half siblings stayed in Vermont, obviously with their biological mom. And uh, I went off to college and, uh, in uh, 82 and then, uh, studied chemistry. Uh, I wound up, uh, 
becoming interested in the Marine Corps and got into a program where I went to training during the summers. And then when I graduated, got a commission and became a second lieutenant in the Marines. Um, went on to, uh, uh, I was I've married and divorced twice. Uh, and then uh, also uh, wound up going on to grad school, got a PhD uh, from Kansas State University, but not till um, the early 2000s. So right around the time of uh, 9-11. So I also, uh, at the time of uh, trying to defend my dissertation, I, I also got uh, shortly thereafter got activated and went to fight in Afghanistan and came back, um, continued on with my life. Uh, um, and then part of my work though, uh, I became very interested in, uh, the human genome. I had friends that were working on the, the, that actual project, the human genome, and then, uh, had, uh, employees that worked for me that were using equipment that, uh, is, is used to sequence, uh, DNA and that sort of thing. So I, I had like a very peripheral interest in it. Uh, I got to hear in 2008, uh, the the actual CEO of Twenty Three and Me uh, essentially give a pitch at a conference uh, for Twenty Three and Me and how interesting it was, and so I, I thought about it at that time. I think it was two thousand eight or so. It was like four hundred dollars to to do a sample. I thought, well, I'll just uh, participate. I don't really have an interest other than my um, proof if my parents were really as Irish as they said they were, you know, so I had no other reason to use it. I thought 400 bucks was a little expensive and figured it'd get cheaper over time. Uh, I got uh, divorced in uh, 2013 and uh, my mom was still alive and living in Florida, but her health wasn't so good. So I moved her up to my house at that point in time, I was living in Maryland. And so in 20. Early 2015, I moved my mom and all of her belongings from Florida up to my house in in Maryland. And um, unfortunately, she had, by that point, developed uh, COPD. And so um, I guess I'm going to move now into how I learned about my status. Um, so mm -hmm. she moved in with me and... Uh, had COPD and so her health was not good and she wound up passing in November of 2015. Um, and at that point, uh, while she lived with me, you know, I spent a lot of time with her taking her to and from the doctors and whatnot. And she didn't mention there were essentially three secrets that, uh, she never shared with me and I didn't learn until after she passed away. And, uh, so she passed away in, uh, like I said, November of, 2015. And then sometime around 2019, uh, my brother, I assumed he was my brother, uh, Joe, uh, lived in Vermont still, sent me a bunch of uh, documents and pictures and things that he had found in ostensibly our father's um, belongings that were in the house that he lived in. Um, but they, what they contained was um, – a birth certificate in 1959 that uh, of a half brother of mine that my mom had, uh, 
just uh, a handful of months before she married who I thought was my dad. Um, so she put him up for adoption. The paperwork uh, in there showed that uh, this little boy was uh, put up for adoption in 1959. And uh, um, I, sh- I immediately called my sister about it. And we thought, well, we need to find uh, find this person and see if they would want to speak to us. Uh, and so she looked into it. Uh, he was born in New York City, so, but the state of New York makes it pretty hard to uh, open uh, sealed adoption records. And there was no record of him on the internet using his birth name on the birth certificate. So we assumed that uh, when he was adopted, his name was changed. And around that time was when the Golden State uh, serial killer was found using the uh, uh, genealogical DNA database. So I had the great idea, let's uh, put samples into that and then we can um, maybe get a chance to find David or whatever his name is now. Um, So my sister did it first. in 2019, before the pandemic started. And so uh, she got the results back in, in just a little bit before the pandemic hit in 2020. And it was pretty interesting, got reconnected to a bunch of my, who I thought was my dad's uh, cousins and whatnot. Uh, the interesting thing about all of my parents, both the biological or who I thought were biological and the step parents is they were all uh, only children. So four grownups in my life were only children. So I'd never had a lot of aunts and uncles or cousins uh, in my life. And so um, we just didn't know a lot about them and uh, when, the, when they grew up. And so uh, when my sister got her results back and we reconnected with um, sort of uh, – second cousins and and great aunts and uncles. It was really interesting. I got really excited. It looked like my dad's um, grandfather. So my great-grandfather had been the um, general contractor that uh, had constructed Fenway Park in in Boston in 1912, the year that they, uh, a year that they won the World Series. So that was really exciting. And so I, I hesitated to to donate my sample though because we're finding a lot of connections to my dad's family but n- almost none to my mother's family and therefore not to the uh half brother that we're looking for so I didn't think like I was going to help cuz I thought my sister was my full sister and then the pandemic hit there was a little bit of lull in in uh, my schedule so I finally submitted the sample and of course, it was delayed because of the pandemic. It took them a while. So it wasn't until almost uh, the very end of 2020 before I got the results. And uh, again, I waited a day or two before I even opened them. And then I did. And, and immediately, I looked at the um, uh, more of the, 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 the ethnic history. And I had a bunch of things that were... Um, you know, uh, Scottish and English and not a hundred percent Irish where my sisters had been like 99% Irish. And, uh, then, then I looked at the close relations and it showed my sister as a half sister. And, uh, as many people have 
relayed in this uh, podcast, you know, the, that when you read that at first, it's like almost an out of body experience. Like what, how can that be? Um, what does that mean? I don't know. This is happening to somebody else. You know, all those thoughts run through your head. So I call her up and we are both on the, uh, logged into our accounts and looking at it and, and the two siblings that are her half siblings that I thought were my half siblings. I'm not showing any connection to at all, but hers does. And we were just like, what does this mean? You know, my, my mom had passed by then. The man I thought was my dad had passed by then. Uh, my stepmom, my stepdad, they had all passed. So we didn't know who to talk to about who would know anything about this. Uh, there were no other grownups that we knew that uh, were still alive that uh, we could talk to about this. But then I noticed on my uh, connections was a, a first cousin, which, like I'd said, I, I never had any first cousins growing up that I knew of. So I wrote to her right away, and uh, her response Luckily, she responded quite quickly. Uh, I didn't put a lot of details. I just said, I'm trying to figure out uh, how we're connected. But she was like, um, I know all my first cousins, uh, and I don't recall your any first cousins with the last name Doyle. Uh, so I don't know what this means. And so then I quickly gave her a little more detail about where we lived when I was born and where my parents worked. And then she answered very quickly, um, and said, uh, you need to talk to this uh, other first cousin of hers. Uh, he lived in that. He was born in the same area, and he and his family lived in the exact same town in Maine uh, during those years that uh, you were born. So she gave me his. She said, let me make sure he's okay with speaking to you, and then I'll give you his information. And so uh, I was able to – he agreed and uh, we we spoke, and it turns out his father was uh, uh, essentially the um, librarian at the hospital that my mom worked at there in Maine, Pineland. Um, and uh, so that we realized there was a very good chance that they knew each other. And then it turns out that they went to the same high school uh, in Massachusetts outside of Boston, but at different years, he was about nine years older than her, but uh, so we're not exactly sure. Maybe they had met at that point, but or that was a, a point, uh, something that they started their conversation uh, when they worked together at Pineland. We don't know because unfortunately, his dad, my dad, my biological father, uh, had passed away in 1972. Uh, he had been a World War II veteran, uh, had been exposed to a lot of things during the war, uh, and also had been a, become, a heavy, after the war, a heavy drinker and had always been a heavy smoker. Uh, so he passed away. He was only 46. So no chance to meet him, but I was able to um, to meet my two of my, of my five half-siblings, from my biological father's side of the family. So two of them there, I'm the youngest of those five siblings, um, but I met the two older ones. Uh, I've met them twice and they've been extremely friendly, 
gracious, want to share information. Uh, I've been very lucky in that regard compared to many of the folks that I've listened to their stories. The brother lives in um, Texas, but he visits Maine quite a bit. The other four siblings all live in Maine full-time. The younger three, for various reasons, mostly medical and um, and uh, the one brother may have an MPE issue of his own to deal with. Uh, um, we're not sure, but they, they haven't been as interested in communicating with me. But uh, the two older ones have, and we exchange Christmas cards now. And we, like I said, we've met in person twice, uh, which has been great. Once you have that revelation that, uh, you know, the, of the science that shows that you're not who you thought you were. I was 57 when I learned it. And it was like, it's, uh, the way I described it was untethered from reality. I mean, I just questioned every moment of my life up until that point. Uh, but one that came through like crystal clear. Uh, in those documents that my brother had sent were some high school photos of uh, who we thought were my our dads, so my birth certificate dad, um, and and I I remember be, it was only uh, maybe a year or so before the DNA revelation, but I remember I had that photo up in my bedroom, and uh, as I was falling asleep one night, I remember going, "Boy, I never I didn't look anything like him when I was eighteen, and then." As I went through and looked at pictures when I was in my 40s, which he was in his 40s when he passed, I didn't look like him then either. And then I fell asleep. Like my brain never quite made the leap. Like, why is that? Uh, You know, I looked enough like him as a kid that no one asked anything. But then as I went through puberty, I grew up to be six foot one. And uh, my sister was remained uh, about. under five, six. And my mom was under five, six. And my dad was like five. My birth certificate dad was like five, 10. And here I am six feet tall, six foot one. Uh, and, but I had blue eyes and looked Irish enough that, uh, it, it never really was an issue. But then, um, come to find out when I saw pictures of my biological dad, you know, he was right around six foot tall, we have like the same uh, hairline. Uh, when I look at pictures of us at, uh, at the same age, you know, before and after puberty, there's so much similarity. Uh, it, it's breathtaking. Um, so that's uh, just something that I noticed uh, lots of people touch on. As far as my life since the revelation, uh, like when I mentioned that feeling of being untethered, some things that helped me like get past that. I, I don't want to say that it's completely gone, but uh, helped me to understand it and and to not feel as lost. Where, um, As many people have mentioned, uh, Danny Shapiro's Inheritance uh, book and then her podcast, uh, uh, I've listened to uh, quite a bit before I found uh, yours, Lily, and the MPE stories, which I've listened to up to episode 133. From start to finish, I haven't uh, 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 fast forwarded f- through any of it. Uh, you know th- that's helped me realize that I'm not alone. Although 
sometimes I'm sure others have had the feeling you think that this is like this massive secret uh, that uh, is huge and that everybody knows about it. And then uh, as I start to tell my friends and acquaintances about what I've learned, you realize that uh, we're still a fairly small minority of the whole population of the world, but uh, it's still significant um, that this technology has come and and, uh, kind of uncovered a part of uh, society that uh, had been essentially uh, hidden for so many years. Um, But one thing from your uh, podcast uh, that was really important to me is uh, episode 77 with uh, Dawn's story. Um, She's a writer and she had mentioned during the podcast that uh, she wanted to help people write their uh, NPE story. So I I reached out to her. Uh, we exchanged a few emails, and then uh, she finally did offer a uh, a seminar on writing. And I thought it would be NPE focused, but it, she expanded a little bit to be writing about your family. Um, and so I I recently participated in that. It was a I can't remember now if it's four or six week uh, workshop where once a week I had a Zoom call and uh, some writing exercises and some reading assignments and that sort of thing. And it, it was uh, really amazing. It turned out if I understood th- there were about 16 people besides Don uh, in the workshop. Uh, I believe Don and I were the only NPEs or the only ones that shared that we were NPEs. The others had other family trauma that they were trying to write about uh, and work through and heal from. Uh, but that was just an amazing experience. And that only finished up with that uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, that was really important to me. And I'm glad that I never, without your podcast, I never would have made that connection to her and uh, and that experience. So I just want to say thank you again for that. I'm so glad you reached out to Don. And that is one of the best things about this podcast is if you feel inspired, feel free to reach out to other NPEs and to other people in the community. And then you can find things about other podcasts and writing seminars and books to read. So I'm glad that you connected with her. I did have a question about your half brother that was put up for adoption Did you ever find out any information about your half-brother? The short answer is no. Um, My my sister, who's now my half-sister, has gotten to the point where she has a form. She just needs to have it notarized, and it will unseal, as long as it meets all of their requirements, unseal the records uh, of his adoption. And then hopefully from there, we'll find a way to contact him uh, if he's still alive. And uh, hopefully he will want to speak with us. Oh, I understand. That's, That's disappointing. And how confusing. It sounds like you have... It sounds like your mother had a child with one man then a child, you, with your bio dad, and then your 
sister with your birth certificate father, and now you found five other siblings, correct? Yes, that is correct. So, um, yeah, and the the to be clear, my she was married to my birth certificate father, uh, and had been for a couple of years uh, before I was conceived. So, um, you know, there are a number of possibilities. My sister and I have talked through that uh, it was a one-time thing, and then she remained. Uh, uh, you know, in the marriage and um, convinced herself that uh, that uh, my birth certificate father was, in fact, my biological father. Um, that another option could be that there was a long, on, ongoing relationship uh, between the two of them outside of the marriage, of both their marriages, but uh, we don't have anybody who can shed any light on that. Um, one other thing that um, we thought of, it could be sort of a me too thing or, or uh, you know, she was drinking heavily then. My biological father was known to be quite a drinker then that maybe it was a party and she has no memory of it, it happening, something like that. Not sure and we'll never know. Mm-hmm. So uh, just uh, those are some of the questions that, you know, will remain open and never, never answered. Uh, that, that make this difficult, but not impossible because of the connections that I've made to my my other siblings. And I remain uh, extremely close to my now half-sibling sister uh, who was born uh, three years after me. And was your, let's see here, it would be your biological father. Was he married at the time of your conception? Yes, he was married um, from the time I was conceived until he passed away. Um, so he was married to the mom of the five, I call them new, but they're not new, they're older than me, but my five, my five other half-siblings. Uh, he married her shortly, it was either right before or immediately after World War II. Uh, I believe it was after um, now that I think about it and, uh, they had their fifth child, uh, the year before I was conceived, uh, and talking with my siblings, uh, they said that she did go through a pretty hard, uh, uh, postpartum depression period after, uh, her youngest was born. Uh, she had been treated for that off and on until she passed away in the, um, I believe it was the early 2000s. Um, and then mm. uh, some conversations with my uh, oldest brother he said there were at one point some aunts that are no longer alive made some comment about uh, uh, could be interpreted that they were hinting that uh, they had seen me and that uh, there was a second the, the funny thing is the youngest uh, sibling in that marriage was named Richard, the same as the, our father. And these aunts made some comment about a second little Richard running around. And that, but they were the siblings were young enough, they didn't make any sense to them, and they weren't really sure what that meant, but it did stand out in their mind, you know, 40-some f- years later, uh, still as an odd comment for grown-ups to make. Uh, 
back then. So it's kind of a long rambling response to your question was, uh, was he married? And yes, my biological father was married uh, when I was conceived to somebody else as my mom was married to my birth certificate dad at the same time as well. There was the one thing I mentioned, and I, I don't think I elaborated. After my mom passed, I had like three surprises. So the the first one was um, she insisted that I bring this very old car of hers up to Maryland from Florida. And so I pulled it behind a U-Haul up here, and then she kept wanting me to get it uh, inspected and put back on the road, uh, which I never did because I didn't trust her to drive around here uh, uh, with uh, her medical condition. So it just sat here for about a year. And then uh, a friend of mine that owns a restaurant, one of her um, employees was having trouble with her car and didn't know what she was going to do to replace it. And I said, I gave her my mom's car, which uh, I cleaned out the the seats in the front of the car, but I, I never quite got to the trunk by the time she needed it. So long story, I'm making this too long of a story, but she brought it home after I gave her the keys and transferred the title and all of that. Um, and then she calls me up and said, uh, there's a box in the back that you need to know about. And I was like, okay. She goes, it's uh, some body's remains. And I'm thinking like bones and skin and that sort of thing. And it turns out it was a cremation remains of a homeless vet that uh, my mom had gotten into, um, uh, or it was one of her clients when she ran a, a substance abuse um, facility in Boston before she moved down to Florida. And so this man was homeless and nobody could find uh, any next of kin. So she volunteered to take the remains and then she didn't do anything with them other than put them in her trunk in like 1993. And they sat there until 2015, 2016 uh, in the trunk of this car. So that was the first surprise. Then the the second one was the one I described in more detail where my uh, half-brother Joe sent me the – all the documents from our my birth certificate father's uh, uh, desk, and we learned about the half sibling born before uh, before the marriage. And then the third one, obviously, was the DNA um, revelation uh, after that. So, you know, each one I thought mom had done something that, that uh, you know, there's no, nothing more surprising that could ever. I could ever learn about my mom, you know, and then each one got more and more until the the DNA revelation, Mm. which was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yes. So amazing when we come across family secrets about our parents and we're, it's just so confusing at times to try to piece it together later after people are gone. Yes. Yeah. But uh, in some ways, I guess there was one other thing I wanted to touch on. Um, there seems to be on both the the Facebook groups and then in some of your episodes, uh, and I'm not trying to say that some moms have not been very mean to their children, uh, but the, the, the term, the narcissistic uh, personality disorder, that's, I think, has been misapplied a few times. 
Um, and, and yes, it may be some of the behavior is selfish, but I've, for me, I've been able to take a step back and yeah, I'm upset with my mom and I, I think she could have done things a little differently and not hidden this from us. Uh, but I also know that uh, women, even today, but especially back in the 50s and 60s, uh, to be an intelligent, um, uh, determined woman uh, was was a very much a challenge. And uh, there, our society, mm. as the technology is revealing, there are lots of women that became pregnant and in, in, um, maybe ne- didn't share how they got that way because our society wasn't really allowing them a way to do that in a safe way. So they learned to hide it. You know, the, the societal pressures, again, this is just my opinion on it. The pressures made it so that they did do and say some things that later on turned out to hurt other people, but they, they were just not offered a, a good safe way to deal with the situation that they were in. And so I try to not be too judgmental of my mom. Uh, I can, I can deal with the feelings I have of some of the actions that she took with me directly, but uh, I, I, I can see how I could interpret some of the things that she did and said as very narcissistic, but uh, I know I have not uh, been in her position. And so I shouldn't, uh, be overly judgmental. I hear your point. Absolutely. And yes, there is a difference between narcissistic personality disorder, which is an actual disorder described in the DSM-5, and then someone having self-centered traits. Yes. And I feel that some folks in the, you know, they're trying to deal with this revelation and the trauma that it ensues, sort of equating the being narcissistic with that narcissistic personality disorder. And they're, they're not interchangeable. They're, they're, they're very, they're quite different, but if you're not a, in, um, if you're, if you're not a, a mental health professional or, or familiar with it, it, it can become difficult to, to understand the, the subtle differences and, and to um, articulate them very well. Very good point. And thank you for bringing that up, Jeff. And then also, there was different options available to women um, in different years, decades, generations than there are now, or, or Options that I should say there weren't necessarily great options. And the society didn't give a lot of freedom and choice to women that they, um, that maybe they have, would have now if someone were to find out they were pregnant with another man's child, one that wasn't their husband. So I'm, I know we speak with many NPEs and some of them were born 40s, 50s, 60s, and some of them were born in the 90s. So, that's a really good point to bring up how you are trying to think of things through your mother's point of view at the time. Yes. And, and it, it, once I had my 
revelation, I realized like she'd been committed to a woman's right to choose um, as, as far back as I can remember, you know, when she was in the state legislature and then beyond that. And when we had uh, her memorial service with the church that she attended down in, in uh, Florida, uh, several young women spoke at that that were members of the church and, and how um, my mom uh, was kind of like an elder statesman for them uh, in in defining their their uh, place in the world and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I I could never quite put a f- um, finger on like why was that so important to my mom uh, the the right to choose and um, then it became crystal clear why it was uh, mm. you know and then. As a scientist, I, I hold a very different perspective on it than I think my mom did, and I'm and I'm a guy, so it, of course it's different. Uh, you know, as a scientist, I see it uh, at the time of conception, the zygote is a genetically unique uh, entity, and uh, so personally, I'm not, I do not want to participate in abortion and that sort of thing. But uh, um, I also don't think it's my place to tell for me or the government to tell women how to, how they're supposed to um, make those choices. So uh, I wish I could discuss that more with my mom today, now that I know the whole story, but uh, uh, I can't and, but I'm not going to judge her uh, too harshly uh, on, on how she lived her life. We're all just trying to do the best that we can. Mm, thank you, Jeff. And I know you are welcome to have people contact you if they want to. What is the best way that people could get in touch with you? Yes, uh, probably by email would be best. I am on Facebook and all that, but I know that can um, – some people keep a lower profile than others. Um, so – by email would probably be the best start, and that's uh, Jeff Doyle at yahoo.com, um, which is spelled all one word, G-E-O-F-F-D-O-Y-L-E at yahoo.com. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your story today and for being so patient. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I do, too. Uh, what you're doing is wonderful, and, and uh, I hope you, you are able to continue on. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Thank you.